Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. Happy Easter, everybody. Great to see you guys. Hey, I want to welcome you to Liquid Church. Glad you're here to celebrate Resurrection Weekend with us. If you're new to our church, I want to welcome you. My name's Tim. I'm one of the pastors here. You need to know Liquid is one church. We actually meet in many locations around our state. So what that means is we have churches all across New Jersey joining us right now. So would you welcome our brothers and sisters? We're glad you're here with us. Praise God for you. Thanks for coming out today. It is Resurrection Weekend, and that typically means a lot of first-time guests. It means we have a lot of CEOs in the house. That means they come to church twice a year, Christmas, Easter only. And if you're kind of a CEO or you're a Christer man, we're just glad you're with us today. Uh, maybe a family member invited you or a friend kind of, you know, begged you to come. Uh, and let's be honest, some of you didn't want to come. You know, you didn't want to go to church. Uh, it reminds me of the wife who went to wake up her husband one Sunday morning to go to church. She said, no, I don't want to go to church today. I don't want to go. Leave me alone. And his wife asked, why not? Why don't you want to go to church? He said, I'll give you three good reasons. One, the people there are cold. Two, they don't like me. And three, I don't like them. And his wife said, okay, I'll give you three good reasons why you should go to church with me. One, the people there are warm. Two, some of them like you. And three, you're the pastor. You have to go. You get, come on. Yeah. <laughs> you got to be there. That's kind of, I'll just... That was just the conversation in my house today, okay? It's kind of, just kidding. I am really happy to be here. I hope you are too. Uh, for a lot of people, Easter is a happy day. Maybe your family is together. Everybody is all dressed up. Maybe you're gonna do an egg hunt later. later. You're gonna go out to brunch or you have a ham in the oven. You know, bacon makes me happy. That's a happy day. Uh, but Easter can be a hard day for other people. While some of us are happy, maybe you come today and you feel a little bit sad because this Easter, someone you love is missing. Maybe somebody that you really loved was with you last Easter and they are not this year. Or Easter's gone by. Easter's like Christmas. It's one of those markers of time. And this is your first Easter without them and you feel sad. Well, if that's you, I am especially glad that God brought you here because I really do believe he has a specific word to speak to you today. I really think God's word is going to speak to your heart and your sadness and give you fresh hope for the future. Or maybe you're here today and you're not even sure about being in church because spiritually you're like, oh, you're in bad shape. Uh, I know everyone dresses up on Easter. You may be all dressed up on the outside, but like inside, maybe you're hurting. Maybe inside things are in shambles. This has been a hard year for you. You've made some bad choices, failed in some way. Maybe you failed yourself or you failed others, your family. Could be your family business failing in your marriage or you feel like you failed God. You don't feel close to God. In fact, maybe you walked in today wondering like, am I gonna get struck by lightning? <laughs> and the answer is yes, but that's later in the service. So just relax, okay? <laughs> if you find yourself struggling today, you feel sad or you feel burdened or just kind of doubting, you really have come to the right place. I believe God is gonna speak directly to you through the account of Jesus's resurrection. As we meet two groups of people, who encountered Jesus Christ face to face in Mark 16. You're gonna see that Easter is for everybody, but it's especially for those who have been devastated by death, devastated by death. Because before it was a day of celebration, the followers at the grave of Jesus felt profound sadness. They had lost the one that they loved the most in life. But Easter is also, we're gonna discover, for those who have failed spiritually, 
We're gonna see how Jesus treats people who've made mistakes, who've made you know, destructive choices or bad behavior. And we're gonna see God does not give us what we deserve, thank God. He gives us grace, which means a second chance, a chance to begin again if we have failed spiritually. And that's really the title of my message today, Begin Again. Would you turn your neighbor and say, begin again? We're going to read a Bible story that addresses these two groups of people I just described. And our text today comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 16. This is the last chapter in Mark's Gospel or his eyewitness account of Jesus' life, death, and his resurrection. For the last few weeks, our church has been kind of on this journey. We've been following Jesus on his crosswalk from the upper room. And today we arrive at the empty tomb. After Jesus was sentenced to death, Scripture says he was crucified on a Roman cross where he died a very excruciating death. But he was buried in a garden tomb on Good Friday. Now, for Jewish people, Saturday is the Sabbath or the day of rest. So on Sunday, that was the first day of the week, three of Jesus' followers are going to go visit his grave, and this is what they found. But as we read this, I want to invite you to see yourself in the text. Here's what Mark says. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance to the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was what? What's these words? Very large had been rolled away. And as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. But I want to say these words together, right? Big, loud voice. He has risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Let's pray and ask God just to speak to us from his word. Father, thank you for this miraculous account of new life. You're a God who specializes in raising dead things back to life. And it all started with your son, Jesus. Jesus, thank you for sacrificing your life, for bearing our sin and dying on the cross in our place to pay for them. Holy Spirit, we ask now, would you speak? Speak to every man and woman here in a very personal way testifying to the truth of what's said. In Jesus' name we pray, everyone said? Amen. Amen. Easter is for everyone, <laughs> young and old, rich or poor. It doesn't matter your station in life. But in Mark 16, we see Easter is first and foremost for those who have been devastated by death. These three women at Jesus' grave were devastated. Jesus was the beloved son to Mary, the mother of James. And he was also the Messiah to Mary Magdalene and Salome. And they were some of his most passionate followers. They loved Jesus. And in the hours before his death, they saw him beaten and flogged and ultimately nailed to a cruel Roman cross. They were devastated because this was not how life was supposed to go. If you're here today and you're like, this year did not go how it was supposed to go. And Easter's a sad day for you. Maybe it brings up the memory of somebody you've loved and lost. That's how the Easter story starts. Verse one says they went to Jesus' tomb and it says, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome bought spices so that they might go what? Anoint Jesus' body. Now let me explain this because bringing spices to a grave in the first century, 
was the equivalent of us bringing flowers to a grave today. Have you ever gone to a cemetery and you put flowers down? It was a sign of love, of devotion and respect. You know, my own father passed away uh, two years ago, just in the weeks leading up to Easter. And so every time Easter comes around, like my mind, my heart can instantly go back to that chilly spring morning when our family walked down to the cemetery. We kind of were arm in arm. We stood before grandpa's grave. I told my dad we loved him. The kids laid down their flowers and we said our final goodbyes. Anybody who has stood before the grave of someone that they really love can instantly conjure that grief that comes with saying goodbye. Death has this finality and it can be devastating. On Friday afternoon, Jesus' body was wrapped in a linen cloth and was placed in a tomb that was cut out of rock. Let me show you a picture. This is the garden tomb in Jerusalem today. And it was probably a man-made cave that was carved in the hillside, large enough for someone to walk into. And the cave was typically sealed, uh, typically it was sealed by a large heavy stone rolled across the entrance. Now, obviously it was a much larger stone than this, okay? probably closer to the size of a boulder. In fact, scholars estimate that the stone that sealed Jesus's tomb probably weighed between one and a half and two tons, okay? So about the weight of a Toyota Camry. I was gonna bring a Camry up and lift it for you. Next week, come back. But sealing the tomb was the easy part because in the first century, they basically carved a trough and then they put the stone there and then basically when it was time to seal it, they pulled away the wedge and it kind of rolled in its place. Gravity did all the work. That was the easy part but unsealing it or rolling back the stone was the hard part. It would have taken an army of men, some major muscles and some serious levers. And that's why the women asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance to the tomb? There's no one else there but these three ladies. Not one of Jesus's disciples show up. There's 12 of them and not one man shows up. That's what happens when there's heavy lifting, right, ladies? <laughs> men, gone, right? They're just gone. <laughs> not really. Uh, don't say amen. That's not, that's not right on Easter. The reason they didn't show was simple. They didn't expect Jesus to rise. Neither did the women. They're bringing spices and perfumes to anoint a dead body, not a live one. It was actually part of the burial custom to use aloe and spices and put them on one's corpse so that it would kind of fend off the funk, okay, of a decomposing body. They didn't have time to do it on Friday. Sabbath started at sundown, so they go back at the crack of dawn on Sunday morning. Now, I want you to imagine their surprise when they looked up and saw that the stone, which was very large, had been what? Rolled away. I want you to imagine the shock, the confusion, okay? If you went to put flowers at the grave of a family member, and when you get there, the headstone's thrown to the side, there's a hole in the ground, and there's an angel on the other side, and he's like, don't be alarmed, he's risen, and he is not here. Friends, those words signal the greatest surprise, and they are the source of greatest hope in human history. What is the significance of the empty tomb? What does it all mean? Five simple words. Death died when Christ rose. Can you say that with me? Death died when Christ rose, and so will we. Every man and woman who believes in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, have the promise, the guarantee of life beyond the grave. Amen? Amen? This life is not all there is, thank God. See, sickness, disease, and death were not part of God's original design. They are the result of sin and life in a broken world. But on the cross, Jesus conquered Satan and sin by dying in our place. And on Easter morning, he conquered death by being raised to life. Death died when Christ rose, and it signaled this brand new beginning, a fresh start for anybody 
devastated by death. You know, if you're here today and you're like, well, you know, I'm new to Christianity or I'm not even sure if I really believe this whole thing, you need to know. The Bible teaches that you and I are spiritual beings with eternal souls and a destiny in God's great universe. And for those who trust in Christ, physical death is really not the end at all. There will be a bodily resurrection one day for Christians when you and I are raised back to life like Jesus was. As 1 Corinthians 15 says, if being a Christian is of value to us only now in this life, we are the most what? Miserable of creatures. But the fact is that Christ did actually rise from the dead and he's become the first of millions who will come back to life again someday. I want you to think about that. Is that hope? Jesus is the first of millions who will experience life beyond the grave. That's amazing. He went to the other side and he came back. And this offers such hope, guys, especially for those of us who have lost loved ones. Again, if you've lost a mother or a father or heaven forbid, a son or a daughter, that's the most heart-wrenching. And every time a birthday or Christmas or Easter rolls around, there's this ache and you miss them. Christians realize because of Easter, there's a reunion right around the corner, sooner than we think. See, Jesus is not just a risen savior. He is a returning Lord. As the apostle Paul describes his return, he says, it will all happen in a moment in the twinkling of an eye when the last trumpet is blown. All the Christians who have died will suddenly become what? Alive with new bodies that will never, never die. And then we who are still alive shall suddenly have what? New bodies too. You know, on Easter, I always think of my father and the reunion that we're going to enjoy with my grandfather and generations gone by when Christ returns and all the tears, all the sorrow, all the heartache wiped away as we all receive new glorified bodies just like Jesus. You know, Jesus had a physical body. After he was raised, he actually appeared to the disciples behind locked doors. At first, they thought he was a ghost. It was like a Scooby-Doo cartoon, like, <laughs> you know, kind of like, you know, don't, <laughs> don't encourage that behavior. Don't, do not encourage that behavior. <laughs> Guaranteed, this is the only Easter sermon in New Jersey with a Scooby-Doo reference, you know, warped in the head. But Jesus said to him, he said, hey, does a ghost have flesh and bone? Does a ghost have a physical body? I'm not a ghost. Go ahead and touch me. Touch my hands. Look, see my side where the spear went in. See, Jesus had a glorified, indestructible, physical body, and so will we. A body that is glorified beyond belief, beyond the physical limitations that we all experience on earth, it will resemble the body of Jesus himself. Is that hopeful? If you, if you have physical limitations, if you're here today and like you struggle with your health, how hopeful is that? Those of you who have arthritis, you have difficulty walking, we're going to dance, man, okay? Uptown funk. <laughs> Those of you who struggle with your weight, oh my gosh, in heaven, we eat all we want, no calories, no weight gain. Thank you, Jesus, right? Oh, I see somebody... All right. Those of you, bald men, bald men, I want to talk, think about this. I see you, you're reflecting back at me. Think about this moment. The hair coming out of your ears will one day migrate to your head. This is going to be amazing for you. As Corinthians promises, the bodies we have now embarrass us, for they become sick and die, but they will be what? Full of glory when we come back to life again. Death died 
when Christ rose. And now a resurrection life and body awaits for every man and woman who believes in him. That means when a Christian dies and leaves this world, we don't say, you know, really goodbye. In essence, we say, we'll see you soon at the resurrection of the dead when we'll be reunited with our loved ones and the Lord Jesus himself. Can I tell you what that means to a man like Monty Williams? Monty Williams is the assistant basketball coach for the Oklahoma City Thunder in the NBA. And last month, his 44-year-old wife, Ingrid, was killed in a head-on collision. Another car crossed the center medium, hit her head-on, devastating tragedy. She left behind five young children and her husband, Monty. And if you follow sports, you might know that Monty Williams kind of stunned the sports world at his wife's funeral with his eulogy because he's 44 years old and you'd expect to find a broken man there. He's been widowed in the prime of life and engulfed, you'd think, by grief and anger, devastated by death. But at the funeral, Monty Williams didn't just simply share the pain in his heart. He shared the hope we have in Christ. This is hard for my family, but this will work out. And my wife would punch me if I were to sit up here and whine about what's going on. That doesn't take away the pain. But it will work out because God causes all things to work out. You just can't quit. You can't give in. See, the Bible says Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And America teaches us to just numb that, and it's not true, but it is true. All you got to do is look around you. Get outside of these walls, and you know it's true. This will work out. Doesn't mean it's not hard. Doesn't mean it's not painful. Doesn't mean we don't have tough times, and we're going to have tough times. What we need is the Lord. And that's what my wife tried to exhibit every single day. God will work this out. My wife is in heaven. God loves us. God is love. And when we walk away from this place today, let's celebrate because my wife is where we all need to be. I love you guys for taking time out of your day to celebrate my wife. We didn't lose her. When you lose something, you can't find it. I know exactly where my wife is. I'll miss holding her hand. I'll miss talking with my wife. Let's not lose sight of what's important. God is important. What Christ did on the cross is important. Let's not lose sight of that family that also lost someone that they love. I love you guys. I hope I get a chance to hug and shake a hand and give a kiss on the cheek. But let's keep what's important at the forefront. Incredible. That's hope. They broadcast highlights of the funeral on ESPN. I've never seen sportscasters at a loss for words. But when he said, we didn't lose my wife. When you lose something, you can't find it. I know exactly where she is. She's in heaven with Jesus. And we miss her, but Easter offers hope for those who are devastated by death. And because Ingrid Williams was a follower of Jesus Christ, her husband has peace amidst the grief. He knows she's safe at home in the presence of Christ himself. And one day he'll see her again. That whole family will be reunited. You know, again, I don't know how this year has been for me, for you, but maybe you've lost somebody close to you, your spouse or a parent or heaven forbid a child. Listen carefully. You can't lose somebody if you know exactly where they are. That's the hope of Easter. Death died when Christ rose, and so will we. Yes, death is painful, 
Of course, grief is real. But Christians have this unshakable hope, this hope of heaven and guarantee you will see your loved ones in the Lord again in the presence of Christ himself. Amen? Amen. Easter is for people devastated by death. But secondly, notice, it's also for those who failed spiritually. That's the second group of people who jump out here in Mark 16. If you look at verse 9, there's this interesting little footnote about Mary Magdalene. It says this, When Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven what? Seven demons. Now, let's just talk about this, because we all have our demons, don't we? Things we struggle with, temptations, things we've done that, that you know, kind of whisper our name and seem just kind of impossible to overcome or resist. Let me tell you something about Mary Magdalene. She is the least likely person ever for Jesus to choose to witness his resurrection. According to Mark, she was actually the first eyewitness on the scene. Now, if you're a skeptic, this is very important because some of you are here and you are skeptical. You're like, you know, I'm not sure I buy this whole pie in the sky, heaven when you die thing, okay? But if you have doubts about the resurrection's credibility and you're like, how do we know this even happened? Like maybe this is a myth or a legend Jesus followers made up. Secular scholars, non-Christians, point to this detail to prove its credibility. The fact that Jesus appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he'd driven seven demons. First off, strike one, she was a woman. In first century culture, there was a deep gender bias against women. It was a patriarchal culture. And women were regarded as unreliable witnesses. Their testimony was actually inadmissible in a court of law. And yet Jesus says, I want a woman to be the first eyewitness. Not only that, she's a demoniac. She struggled her whole life with seven demons. She was a tortured soul. In the Middle Ages, Mary Magdalene was rumored to be a prostitute, sexually scandalous. And they thought her seven demons probably represent the seven deadly sins. We don't have all the details, but suffice to say, Mary was a troubled soul. And scholars say this is one of the ways you know the resurrection story is credible. Because scholars agree, if Jesus' followers were just trying to make up a story, they'd never include this detail. Because if you are trying to start a brand new religion based on the historical fact of a dead man coming back to life, you would never claim that he first appeared to a woman, let alone a demon-possessed one. <laughs> no one in first century culture would believe it unless it were true, unless it really happened precisely this way. When Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons. Again, we don't know exactly what Mary struggled with, but I wonder, what did Mary see when she looked in the mirror? What do you see? I mean, she had led a pretty messed up, broken life, done some things she wasn't proud of. And can I ask you this question? Put yourself in Mary's shoes. What, what, what do you see when you look in the mirror? When you, when you think about your past, your failures, your mistakes, what story does your mirror tell? You know, I heard about this guy who uh, looked in the mirror and he got depressed. He looks at it and he's like, he says to his wife, he goes, look at me. I'm getting old, I'm getting fat, I'm ugly, you know? I could really use some encouragement right now. And his wife said, well, it appears your eyesight is still good, you know? <laughs> the, the, the truth is, when a lot of us look in the mirror, we feel like Mary Magdalene. We, we see our past, we see our failures, our mistakes, and they have a way of kind of defining who we are. You know, I know this, that from talking with some of you, some of you grew up in a home, where you received verbal war words that just kind of damaged you or tore you down or wounded you, you know? You grew up being told, you know what? You're not smart enough. You're, you're not pretty enough. You're, you're just not enough. So you grew up believing like, you know, 
I'm ugly. You grew up with words like, you know what, thinking, you know, I look in the mirror and, and I'm stupid. I'm inadequate. I don't have what it takes. And you've kind of lived with that. Again, these things have a way of defining us. And you think, that's who I am. I don't never say it out loud, but that's how I feel. Every time you look in the mirror, that's the message you see. You know, I've been a pastor now for over 15 years. And I talk to a lot of people. You know what the number one thing that I talk to people that they struggle with, that they have regret for? They have sexual regret. Again, Maybe it was somebody way back when, and you didn't know their name, or you did know their name, and, and they promised to be there, but now they're long gone, and, and, you, and you live with sexual regret. For, for other people, they look in the mirror, and they see addiction. <laughs> Again, they're all cleaned up for today, but, you know, it's the prescription painkillers. It's the alcohol. It's the weed. It's the meth. It's the porn, and you're like, that's who I am. I struggle with the demons of addiction, and when you look in the mirror, you're like, that's who I am. I'm an addict. You see, sin has consequences. In fact, I'm going to say something right now that no pastor's probably ever said to you and may never say to you. Ready? I'm going to confess it. Sin is fun. Anytime I hear a pastor say, well, you know, sin is no fun, I think, you ain't doing it right. <laughs> it's true. The Bible says sin is fun, but for a season. And then there are consequences. Then there are side effects that affect your life. In fact, some of you are like, you're looking at this and you're like, you know, hey, Tim, I'm living in sin right now. I'm not experiencing any consequences, to which I would say, just give it time. Just give it time. And you will experience what many of us have experienced, is that that sin always comes with consequences. And over time, it has a way of distorting our view of the image of God. We can't see the image of God anymore. You and I are made in the image of God, but then we look in the mirror and all this stuff happens and we conclude, well, I think... I guess that's just who I am. That's my identity. What do you see when you look in the mirror? Some of you see bitterness. A while ago, somebody hurt you. Somebody wounded you. Someone rejected you. Somebody fired you. Know, fired you and, and, and now you look in the mirror, and you just see an angry person who's bitter. And friends have said to you, no, you need to forgive them, and you wish you could, but you just can't. And it just happens over time that distorts our perspective because God made you in the image of God, but sin starts blocking that out, and you think, well, I've, I've failed. That's who I am. I'm just a failure. <laughs> you know, I've lied. I'm, that's who I am. I'm a liar. And all these things accumulate and you start living with those messages. And some of you think you're looking at this right now and you're like, wow, that's quite a list. I didn't realize there's so many sinners in church today. I'm glad that's not me. You're like, I don't, I don't struggle with any of those things. I'm a pretty good person. You know what your problem is? <laughs> the biggest one of all, pride. <laughs> It's the mother of all sins. Pride is what got Satan kicked out of heaven and it will keep you from God. And we look at this mess and we conclude, this is just who I am. And your past starts to define your future. You say, well, this is my history. I guess it's gonna dictate my destiny. But guys, good news. That's not what the Bible says. Do you know what God says? Do you know what God's word says about you? Listen to what the word of God says about you. I want to read this out loud. It says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? New creation. The old has gone and the what? New has come. See, the resurrection of Jesus doesn't just mean we get heaven when we die. It means we get a brand new life right now. Easter means God gives second chances to people like Mary Magdalene, to people like my friend Laura, uh, Laura is my new friend. She's a sister in Christ, attends one of our campuses here at Liquid. She's a single mom with three beautiful children. But Laura's had a hard life. She's had a difficult past. 
She would tell you that when she looks in the mirror, all she sees is failure after failure, bad choices, destructive things that have regret. And easily she could just stay crippled there. And when she walked through the doors of this church six months ago, Laura had her doubts. She was not sure this whole Jesus thing was for her. But then she encountered the power of forgiveness of what Christ accomplished by dying on the cross and rising from an empty tomb. This is her story. I got pregnant when I was in college and um, my relationship did not work out with my daughter's father and I was a single mom. So I thought, what the heck, I'm gonna just up and move to Colorado and I, I ended up getting really, really depressed. Um, I started seeing a therapist and I was on some antidepressant medication and I wasn't taking it like I should be. Um, and I, I actually ended up overdosing on all my medications, anything I could find in the house. Um, and my ex-husband, my husband at the time, was supposed to be home that night, and he never came home. And my children found me. I ended up in the hospital. I got help I needed. My parents came out and took my kids and took care of them for a few months until I got myself settled. Um, and I, I couldn't believe that I was still alive. Like, it blew my mind. Like, I should have been dead. I was passed out for 12 days in the hospital. And, you know, life, life was up and down there on after. Um, you know, I ended up, ended up moving back to New Jersey and I had to live with my parents. And I just started trying to rebuild my life and figure out who I was without my husband. Um, but I ended up, you know, I was a waitress. Um, I, I tried everything, but I did what I thought at the time would help get my kids through things so I could buy them clothes and get them food and, uh, you know, I, I even tried stripping um, and that was, you know, I did it one night. I was disgusted. I didn't want to go home and hug my children. I was embarrassed, like to this day, like, like embarrassed about it. Um, when I first came to church, I started going to the Morristown campus and it, from the outside, it is a hotel. Um, I was like, this is church, I'm gonna walk into a hotel. Like, this is kind of weird. This just, it doesn't seem like a church. This is not my image of what I've seen on TV. Just the people around are, they were all dressed differently. Like, people were wearing jeans, some people had dyed hair, some people had tattoos. And, uh, and I was like, this is, this is weird. This is not church. Like, where, where is my friend bringing me today? Like, this is so strange. Um, and I started thinking about um, my past. And cry. <laughs> but I had an abortion. And uh, like walking in a church, I thought. How's God gonna love me? How could he forgive? I didn't think that like I, sh I even belonged in a church. I mean, I have three children from three different fathers. And I've had an abortion. You know, I'm, I stripped. I've, I've done so many things in my life that the way that I think that people that go to church are perfect. You know, I think that um, they're like these amazing people that have never done anything wrong in their life. And coming to Liquid was unbelievable because I found that um, it didn't matter. 
I know that the day I accepted God, it's so cool to say, but the day I accepted God, my sins were washed away. And that's, it's the coolest thing in the world just to think like, I can move on now. Like, I can move forward for my kids, for myself, for God. Finding Liquid Church has been unbelievable. Like, my first day when I accepted God, the first thing that Tim said to me was, your sins are washed away. We're here for Laura for sharing that story with us. We thank God for you, Laura. Praise God for new beginnings. You know, that's amazing to me. You know, six months ago, when Laura looked into the mirror, she just saw failure after failure and felt a little like Mary Magdalene. You know, we don't, we don't know all the details of Mag Mary Magdalene, but this was this moment when she finally saw the man who offered the love she's been looking for, Jesus Christ. And he says, do you want a second chance? Do you want a fresh start? I can make you a new creation. My empty tomb means you can begin again. See, guys, you have to make this personal. You have to do what Laura did. You have to take God's promise to you and personalize it. Laura took that verse and she said, you know what? If Laura is in Christ, she is a new creation. The old has gone and what? The new has come. Because Laura put her faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus. In God's eyes, she's a brand new person. She's not a failure. She's no longer defined by her past. Laura had this litany of sins that she felt regret for, that she was like, how could God love me? Did that rip you up? How could God ever accept me with what I've done? How could he ever forgive me? Guys, this is why Jesus died. This is why Jesus rose. He died to forgive your sin, and he was raised to give you a second chance, a fresh start, amen? No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter how you failed, you may look in the mirror, and all you see are failures and mistakes and, and all this mess, but you know what? The message of Easter is that God can forgive, amen? God can restore, amen? God can repair, amen? And if you trust in Jesus Christ, he will give you a brand new you. The old is gone. The new has come. New creations. You have to make it. That's who you are. That's how God sees you in Christ. Amen? That's Easter. Have you made it personal? Listen to me. Have you made Jesus Christ your savior like Laura? Like Mary, can you point to a moment where you filled in the blank with your name? I want to read this verse out loud, and I want you to say your name out loud in it. Are you ready, Liquid Church? Big, loud voice. All our campuses will read it out loud, and you say your name. Ready? If Tim is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, and the new has come. Faith in Jesus means a whole new you. On Easter, you can begin again. No more guilt for sin. No more fear of death. Just a whole life that's healed and repaired and restored, reunited with your heavenly father and the promise of reunion with the Lord Jesus when he returns. You know, so for some of you, today is a day, if you personalize this, if you make this personal, it will change your life forever. <laughs> because understand what you believe about Jesus in this life determines what happens in the life to come. And if you fill your name in this blank, you put your faith in Christ's death and resurrection, the Bible says you step over from spiritual death to eternal life. The old is gone, the new has come. That's what the Bible calls salvation. And we want to give you a chance to make salvation personal today. 
Again, I don't know what brought you here today. Maybe you came because a, a, you know, a friend invited you or a family member bribed you with brunch. <laughs> I don't know. But I know that God brought you here for another reason. He brought you here to tell you just how much he loves you. Christ was willing to die for you. And for some of you, this is a moment to fill your name in the blank and put your faith in Christ for the first time if you've never made it personal. So can I ask you right now at all of our campuses, everyone who's listening to my voice, have you done that? Do you know with 100% certainty that when your life is over on earth, you'll be raised to new life just like Jesus was? If you've never asked Christ to come into your life, I'm gonna give you a chance to do that right now. That's, what, that's how you become a follower of Christ. You become a Christian and you can do that on Easter. How to become a Christ follower like Laura did, it's as easy as ABC. A stands for admit your sin. And I realize sin is not a popular word, but it's reality in our broken world. God created you and me for perfection, but we all fall short. And the Bible says if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth isn't in us. So salvation begins by admitting our sin before God and then B, believing in Jesus. That is on the cross, God dealt decisively with your sin once and for all by sending Jesus to die in your place as a substitute. He did for you what you can't do. And he died the death you deserved and he lived the life he wants you to live that now. He, it says this in the Bible, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God, what? Raised him from the dead, you will be saved. B, believe in Jesus. And then C, commit to follow him with your whole heart. This is not a one-time decision. This is a life-changing commitment to live the rest of your life as a new creation. See, Jesus is alive today and he wants to live his life through you. And when you ask him to be your savior, he will put his Holy Spirit in you. And that gives you this new power to live for him. That's what he's doing with Laura. It doesn't mean now we just live perfectly, but now we live with the Holy Spirit's power, not our own. And he sets you in this family called the church. It means you're no longer alone. Our church is the perfect place for imperfect people. We're all here to love and support you as we follow Jesus together. But guys, those are the ABCs of how you become a Christian or Christ follower. And right now, I'm gonna give you a chance to make this personal and pray a prayer of salvation. So all our campuses, would you bow your heads with me? We're gonna take a moment for prayer. Just bow your heads, everybody. And if you're here today and you're ready for a fresh start, again, God's been speaking to you. You want a second chance with God. In a moment, I'm gonna ask you to do something bold. I'm gonna ask you to stand to your feet right where you are so I can pray for you, so I can lead you in a prayer of salvation and you can give your life to Jesus Christ. Again, maybe you felt God speaking directly to you. That's the Holy Spirit. Don't ignore him. This is a moment for you to respond. And in 30 seconds, I'm gonna ask you to rise to your feet and stand right where you are. Some of you might be like, well, why are you gonna ask me to stand up? Because on Easter morning, the first thing Jesus did when he rose is he stood up and he walked out of that grave. And Jesus says, everyone who acknowledges me publicly on earth, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. So right now, all of our campuses, our heads are bowed and we're praying. And if you're ready to put your faith in Jesus Christ to receive salvation, your sins forgiven, the hope of heaven, you want me to pray for you, would you stand to your feet right now where you are? Just stand up right where you are so our campus leaders can see you. Praise God for you. A couple people over here, people in the back, thank God for you. Just stand right where you are. Don't be embarrassed. You're not gonna be alone. There's people all over New Jersey standing. Just stand on up. I'm gonna lead you in a prayer of salvation. Again, this is people who want a fresh start. Christ, you're gonna invite into your life on Easter Sunday. Don't be embarrassed, all right? Anybody else? Maybe you've fallen away and you wanna come back. You know, you can stand too. 
If you once had faith, but you drifted, you've kind of backslid, and today you're like, I want to begin again. You just rise to your feet too. Stand where you are. God's speaking to you. A few more people, all right? All our campuses. I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer. Again, everyone's head bowed, and we're going to say these words together. I'm going to say them out loud, and then you can repeat them after me, okay? In fact, let's everybody say this so we feel like one big family. Ready? I'll pray, and then you pray. Jesus, I admit I am a sinner. Jesus, I admit I'm a sinner, but today I trust you as my Savior. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I turn from them now. Give me a fresh start. I want the hope of heaven. I give my life to you. Come be my Lord. Now and, forever. now and forever. In Jesus' name, everyone said together, amen. amen. Liquid Church, look around. We have new believers all over New Jersey. Praise God for you. Praise God for you. That is awesome. Welcome them to the family of God. That's exciting to me. You can have a seat where you are. Easter, man, is the best day ever to become a Christian, I think. And if you prayed that prayer for the first time, you've made a life-changing decision. This is literally the first day of the rest of your life. You're a, this is who you are in God's eyes. You're a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. And we would love to have you as part of our church family. Now, if you rose to your feet, our campus team probably handed you a bag that looks like this. We call this a baptism bag. And it really talks about your next step of obedience to Jesus Christ. What do you do next as a Christian? And the Bible says this. It says, believe and be baptized. And Christians have been celebrating the ritual of baptism for thousands of years as a symbol of faith. And you have come at a perfect time. We are hosting spring baptisms at your campus in just a few weeks. And water baptism is kind of the perfect symbol of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Basically, when you go under the water, it's like you're simulating the death and burial of Jesus Christ. And when you're raised up, it's like you're being resurrected to new life washed clean of sin, filled with the Holy Spirit. So if you prayed that prayer, you put your faith in Jesus Christ today, baptism is your next step as a believer. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.